today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about GM releasing the last of the Gasoline V-Series, Elon Musk getting the CEO of Robinhood to spill the beans about GameStop, VW's ID6 electric SUV leaks, and much more. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Good. Good, Matt. It's been a kind of a crazy week. I had a little issue with my YouTube video while I was editing, but uh, yeah, not bad. How about you? What'd you do this week? Usual stuff. I'm <laughs> just stuck at home releasing videos. Just put a video out this week about vertical gardening, vertical farming. Really kind of a fascinating thing that they can do right now with that kind of stuff. And that's like, I really hope that kind of catches on more. Very good video. I haven't seen it yet, but I have a bookmark. I'll check it out. My video this week was on the Apple car and what it means. Are they going to make it? It's kind of a bizarre story. So I, I wanted to kind of give my, my two cents on it. So yeah. yeah, good week. Should we jump right into it? Let's jump right into it. Okay. This one is, <laughs> I was reading, I, I'm a big car person. I don't know how many pe- people know that, but huge car guy before EVs and now I'm all about EVs. But Cadillac is potentially creating the last of their very special black wings, which is a very special trim of their V series, which is like the BMW AMG kind of equivalent. So what um, what's interesting here is we are looking at the end of an era. So there was a time when, you know, 400 horsepower and the CT5, 600 horsepower, those numbers sounded amazing, like beyond (laughs) belief. Now it's kind of a yawn. It's like, okay, boring. You know, my, my $50,000, very economy reliable model three performance is putting out 500 horsepower. So the, just the, the craziness of runaway, uh, performance numbers. And I want to quickly just read a paragraph. Um, so here's a paragraph I thought was really apropos. And even in their case, the appeal will be like that of an analog watch objects of mechanical fascination on that front. The new Blackwing looks good when you bring your, uh, 2022 CT5 Blackwing in to a 2020, uh, 2040 car and coffee. You'll be talking about its titanium intake valves and its four-lobe Eaton supercharger and its aluminum cylinder heads. So it's kind of funny, but we're looking at cars that 30 years from now are going to be thought of as yeah. antiques and kind of the last of their lineage. Um, this is especially interesting because if you're going to build a performance car going forward, it cannot have a gasoline engine. It'll just be too like horridly slow. It just won't work. So welcome to the final iteration, the final chapter of the gasoline car. Um, that's kind of the way I look at this. And we've had some nice ones. We've had some fast ones. They're just on their last leg. So that car, by the way, has a manual transmission. So for anybody who loves <laughs> gas cars or manual transmissions, go out and get one of these. This will be the last of its kind. Yeah, when you put this article in and I read it, the first thing that popped in my head was smoke them if you got them, because it's like exactly. they're going to be they're going to be going away. They're going to become antiques and collector's items. It's kind of weird to start wrapping my head around that. Like we're starting to see that happening now. Um, you read something from it. There was another passage that jumped out at me, the eye earmark that I wanted to read, which was, but if we're on the verge of seeing 1000 horsepower trucks right now, ponder where we'll be once the horsepower race is decoupled from fuel economy and emissions considerations. From the, uh, from the constrictions of intake and exhaust and fuel flow, from the need to keep hundreds of precisely arranged components from flying apart, the game is going to change in a way that we're not yet calibrated to understand. I thought that was such a... This article was so well-written. I, I love so much of this article. And to Brilliant. me, that just summarized the whole thing so well to me. It's like, it's when you think about the complexity of internal combustion engines, it's, a, it's kind of a mir- miracle of engineering, what we're able to do and how much power we can like harness from that. 
but at the same time it seems so antiquated with what we can do with electric motors and they just smoke these cars again and again and the article just brought up brought up how like pike's peak the record holder for pike's peak is an ev now from vw it's like there's there's just so many of so many of these records that are being broken by ev after ev after ev it just illustrates <laughs> it's actually the for that kind of thing it's the better technology but it still has to catch up on other aspects like charging infrastructure and the ease of use there's some still some areas where it has to catch up but we're we're at that turning point right now yeah exactly i've we've talked about this in the past but we're already i mean the end of the gas engine has been here for a while if you look at like horrible compromises like the cvt which i cannot stand cars that have the continually variable transmission they just it's this, it's this rubber band transmission that just doesn't give you any kind of feedback and um superchargers and turbochargers all in the interest of like smaller and smaller displacement which when you're not flooring it there's less fuel and air mixture and it'll get better economy and when you need it you floor it and all that boost but the reality is all those cars don't get very good fuel economy so historically my dream has always been i want a car that I can just cruise on the freeway and get like 50 miles a gallon. And then when I want to, I can floor it and have a race car. Was not possible. And now I literally have that in my garage. I have a car that can go 0 to 60 in three seconds. And all the rest of the time costs less than a Toyota Prius. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible. Which actually takes us to the next story, which (laughs) is actually the beginning of kind of a series of stories, which you'll start to see a a thread with what we're about to talk about. (laughs) So this one is Elon Musk getting the Robin Hood CEO to kind of spill the beans on what happened with the whole GameStop kind of fiasco that happened over the past couple of weeks or about a month. Um, and I got to call out Galley from HyperChange. If you haven't seen his videos where he's talked about the GameStop stuff and the Robin Hood kind of fiasco, I highly recommend going to watch his videos. He does a wonderful breakdown of Robin Hood is a you are not the customer, you're the product, and the actual customer are the hedge funds that are kind of funding behind the scenes. So it's an interesting take on when when you understand that it, the whole story about GameStop and what Robin Hood did kind of starts to make more sense. But what's fascinating about this specific story is that Elon Musk went on the new uh, social media platform called Clubhouse, which is basically just kind of like um like real-time podcasting or radio shows. It's just kind of like impromptu little rooms that people can jump into and you can kind of have a audio chat in real time and bring people on stage and ask questions. It's really, really, really cool platform. I've been having a lot of fun with it. He showed, Elon came on and had one of these rooms and was talking to a bunch of people and answering questions and they ended up pulling in the CEO of Robinhood who also happens to be related to the whole clubhouse thing. So there's kind of a, there was probably a back room conversation between all of them, and they're probably all know each other and are friends, which is why it happened. But Elon asked some very pointed questions about why the hell did Robinhood stop trading GameStop? And it turned out that Robinhood was their their arms were kind of tied because they were suddenly forced to try to raise three billion dollars of funding to cover all of these um, sales like in the middle of the night. And so they had to suddenly stop allowing people to buy it because they couldn't actually cover it because they had to have $3 billion like immediately. Raises a whole bunch of questions about their liquidity as a company, that if something like this can happen and take them out, do they really have enough funding (laughs) to be able to do what they're doing? Are they 
solvent. Uh, it raises a whole bunch of questions. And it also then raises the question of who out there was forcing them to suddenly do $3 billion and why. And so there's a whole bunch of hinky activity in the background that's going on. And I just thought it was really fun that Elon was kind of like spearheading this conversation in a very public way. Yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> you didn't mention the name of the series, but this whole week as we were preparing our stories, I kind of felt like Elon Musk is basically the supreme <laughs> overlord and supreme commander of Earth. He, yeah. I mean, his weight is unbelievable at this point. Like, yeah. He can come in and just send a message, like a, 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 tw a tweet, and, and change the direction of the Earth, <laughs> Earth's rotation or something. But yeah, so he's on Clubhouse, which now is this huge platform. It has been. It's been private. They're not really like, you know, out of their open beta. But he goes on there and says he's going to be on that happy time uh, show on, on Clubhouse. And suddenly their servers are overloaded with all these people joining yeah. and stuff, which we could have probably predicted. But yeah, he's holding Vlad, the, the CEO of, of Robinhood, to some kind of account and kind of talking to him about this stuff, which he's the CEO of a car company. What is the, what is the connection? But that's kind of the clout he has at this point. Your, your point, which is very good about Robinhood's customer, um, comes to mind. But yeah, Elon basically kind of kind of talked for us people. I use Robinhood, actually, for a small part of what I do. And they, they had to kind of answer for this. Like, how are you blocking people from buying or selling uh, securities? Which is, sounds like a, a kind of crazy thing. We can talk. I have a channel where I've talked about this a little bit other in, in my channel. But crazy stuff. And at least Elon is there kind of holding people to account, which I think is cool. Uh, but yeah. as far as yeah, watch Galley's videos. We'll put we'll put links or something. But yeah. crazy week if you're an investor. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I said, this is the trend of the next few stories. Of the power of Elon is essentially what <laughs> these next few stories are all about. Yeah. So the next one is Elon shares his optimism for the new U.S. administration. And this, I wanted to cover this one because if if I had to categorize Elon's kind of political views, I'd say he's a little bit of a libertarian. I think he kind of you know believes in kind of a hands-off uh, government approach. So I was happy to hear that he's in favor of of the Biden administration. Uh, it's interesting because clearly it, it benefits him and his companies. Like his companies are all kind of in this in this world in this space, and so I'm just I'm glad to hear that you know he's got optimism, and I think this lends itself really well for future investment and stuff. Again, to the point about Elon, the supreme com commander of Earth. <laughs> if he's optimistic about things, I think that carries a lot of weight in terms of like investing capital and where it goes. Does it go into more EV companies? There's a ton of stuff. Um, like Archimoto is a company that I've been investing in for a while, just blowing up lately. And so there's just a lot of excitement. And um, yeah, I just I think it's just a it's a it's a positive neck a window or a preview of the next four years. I was kind of surprised in the article. I mentioned how in the interview with him, he had said he hasn't reached out to the Biden administration yet. I would have expected him to be like on the phone almost immediately <laughs> telling them you got to do this, this and this. But it's interesting that he's kind of s staying back, letting see seeing how things play out. And I hope he does get in touch with them soon. But he did mention like all the people that they're the administration is reaching out to to hire and bring in. He actually knows a lot of these people. The people at Tesla are very well connected to a lot of these people that are being brought in. So that may be part of the reason why he doesn't feel an urge to reach out right now, because they know all the players that are involved and what's shaking out. Um, one thing I did want to bring up is we've talked about this before, where Biden signed that executive order saying, you know, federal cars are going to start, they're going to start buying EVs to replace their fleet. Um, 
and we speculated like wonder if tesla will be part of that or it's going to be mainly gm and ford i had a um a viewer reach out to me and sent me a link to the actual executive order and he cited in the executive order section 205 ev in that section one of the requirements is you have it's they, they, you have to buy from companies that have unions and tesla is a non-union company right now so no tesla <laughs> the way the executive order is currently written. Wow, that's sneaky. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be all Ford and GM, most likely. So this is part of why I was surprised and, and excited is he he doesn't have Joe Biden's views or like largely Democratic views. He's, he's an anti-union person and, and other things that kind of seem like they could potentially be in conflict. So um, yeah. I'm glad that there's, there's some symbiosis and some positivity. I think that'll be a good thing for the entire uh, industry. Yeah. Thank you to Gary, by the way, for his super chat. I uh, really appreciate it. He mentions if Elon requires cell fabs to to sell cells to non-Tesla customers and if they pay a higher revenue and stuff. I think don't, I wouldn't expect Tesla to sell batteries to anybody else until they're far more mature and they're like building all the cars they need to and they have excess supply. Until then, I think they're keeping everything possible for themselves. Yeah, I would, I, I would think the same thing. So next up, is this one I just found, I don't know. I don't know why I find this adorable. I think it's because I think Sandy Monroe is just the coolest guy on the planet. I want to like keep him in my pocket. I just think he is the coolest guy. He's so smart. He's so astute in his takes on things and how he's been breaking down all of the Teslas and being very honest about his takes on the problems with it. This conversation, if you haven't seen it, everybody should just go out and watch it. It's like 40 minutes long and it is spectacular. It's a great conversation of watching two engineers basically just kind of geek out and talking to each other. And they go so far down the rabbit holes on certain aspects of the way the cars are built and the way they both think cars should be built. And they actually are very much in alignment on on things. Because Cindy Monroe has talked numerous times about he, how he's been trying to get car companies to u- do this like unibody construction and use these gigantic molds and everything to make cars and that's exactly what Elon's starting to do. So it's like he is super excited to see a company actually doing something that he's been trying to get people to do for a long time. So it's 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 really, really cool. I thought this was a very fun watch. Strongly recommend it. I've been watching more of Monroe Live lately. And yeah, we'll have to put a link to it. You got to check it out. It is it's super cool. And like you said, part of why I think um, I like to hear Elon talk is he really embraces the engineer in him. Yeah. Um, I was reading somewhere that like even when he puts down a job title, he puts engineer. Uh, that's how much he thinks about it. Yeah. Um, so when you hear to hear him talk, you get to hear him think about the things that matter, as opposed to a lot of CEOs who don't care about the nuts and bolts of it. They're like, go build it. I don't care. I'm worried about like how can we increase margins by eight percent and ink out a little more sales and stuff. He really cares about the products that he's making, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. So Tesla is slated to open up a new supercharger factory in China. So Traditionally, they had been making their supercharger stalls in Fremont, California, for the version 2 superchargers. And as they went to the V3 model that has a faster 250 kilowatt architecture, they started building those in the Gigafactory in Albany. And so that's where they've been up until now. This new one is poised to be a really big deal because China is a massive country and a massive customer and a, a, a future stronghold for Tesla. And so this will dramatically increase their output of of superchargers because currently they have about 20,000 chargers installed, it says, and Mm -hmm. this new factory is poised to be pumping out about 10,000 a year. So huge, huge scales of of improvement in terms of output. And uh, it should, 
it should be a welcome side of news for people who have uh, Teslas and congested areas in China and want more charging infrastructure. Yeah, that to me was the key out of the entire thing of Tesla has about 20,000 superchargers and we all talk about how they're the most, you know, widely available supercharger network in the world. And it's like, here's a factory that can produce half of that in a single year. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no kidding. it puts into sense the scale of the potential rollout that they'll do. It doesn't mean that they will be doing this right off the gate. It's, they're probably going to have to ramp up to that. And there's got to be a lot of logistics about even installing that many. <laughs> so it's, I, who knows how quickly they'll actually be rolling them out. But the fact that the factory can actually pump out that many it means the supercharger network is going to get a lot more vast, a lot faster. It's going to be like exponential growth for the supercharger network, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad it's the V3 stuff. I think um, their rollout with V3 up, uh, upgrading from V2 is, um, is is going is progressing faster than I thought. When I first got my Model 3, the very first V3 was uh, unveiled in, in Las Vegas. And we did a little road trip to go check it out. This is before COVID. Uh, we, did, we had no idea it would be our last, but... Um, that was our first one. And now we go to several on our route between here and the Bay Area, and they're rolling out at a quick clip. One of the things that maybe you do, you don't know, the V2 stalls, uh, like if you have two stalls, A and a B, so you have like stall 4A and B, they shared the output. So if you had a car charging on, on A and you pulled into B and plugged in, you guys would be splitting the potential output, and as a result, your charge rate would be would be lower. With V3, they go and have a dedicated stream for each stall, so you don't have that issue any longer and plus the 250 kilowatt speeds so for people who drive a lot and there are some you mentioned clubhouse i was on a couple of calls where people were talking about supercharging and kind of geeking out and there are some people who drive like thousands of miles even during covid so this will be welcome news for the people who use it um, in asia and i I don't i didn't see mention the article if they were going to ship these to like europe and stuff but anyways more capacity more output is always a good thing exactly so next up Panasonic plans to deploy the Tesla 4680 cells into production later this year. And in fact, it said sometime after April 1st is the later this year. So not that far away that they could potentially start producing these or trying to produce these. This story is kind of key because Elon's been saying all along, he got misinterpreted during battery day when people were understanding that Tesla was going to start manufacturing their own batteries. People initially assumed that Tesla was going to go it alone and start phasing out people like Panasonic and their partners. And Elon's been saying since then, no, we want to, we want to double down with all of our partners and bring more people on because we need more and more batteries. This is not about replacing, it's about adding to. And this story is like the, Elon's not lying because here it is. It's like, here's Panasonic at uh, Gigafactory Nevada is going to be doing this. They're going to be producing this there. So it's like, this is them starting to transition and ramp this whole production up, which just just goes to show that later this year, that's probably what's going to be like being used in the new Tesla Model S's that are going to be coming out for the Plaid Plus. It's like it's going to be coming out of places like this. So it's not necessarily all what Tesla is creating on their own. So this is this is pretty cool news. I didn't think about this. I actually didn't know if this was going to be the case. I kind of thought they would just keep rolling 2170s in in uh, Sparks, Nevada, Gigafactory, and and maybe move this. But this is a huge deal. It really just pushes forward timelines on some of the products that they were going to make. So when I when I saw the Plaid Plus uh, numbers and how they would ship them later in the year, whereas the Model S Plaid is shipping like in a month, I knew this battery was the reason for that. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about building these in, in uh, the first Gigafactory, that's huge news. 
Um, part of why I think this is really exciting is just their foresight into how they built the Gigafactory. The Gigafactory in Nevada is not fully completed, but what they've done is they've built it in a, in a modular way that as they build on it, each like module is self-sustaining. It can build a battery unit. And then when you have two of them, it can build twice as many. When you build three of them, it can build three times as many. It isn't like typical factories are built to be, we have this booth here, we have this over here, we have that over there. It's not easy to just take them. They're, they're not fully contained, uh, I guess I will say. And these are. So imagine if like, they have these different business units that keep doing 2170s and then two new little sub-modules that do the 4680s. They, they have the infrastructure and how they've built these uh, lines in place to be able to do that. Really exciting. Uh, thank you, Bill O'Barr, for the super chat. He mentions if he says, it looks like Berlin and Austin may open earlier than projected. What do you think? I think they will. And that's mm -hmm. actually a video I was thinking about doing. Let us know in the comments if you, maybe Matt and I should both do it. But about the how they build their factories, it's pretty interesting, their their approach. They're building at breakneck speeds in a lot, in a lot of cases. I did some early research and it looks like two years is what a lot of companies are taking to build factories and Tesla's doing it in less than one. So cool stuff. And really exciting news. I think for anybody who's trying to get a Cybertruck, this is very welcome news, knowing mm -hmm. that Panasonic is going to be making these batteries. The whole thing about it, Tesla's actually gotten much better at not overselling what they can actually do. They're under-promising and over-delivering now. They, Elon time, where he would be like, oh, and so we'll have that in six months. And then a year later, they finally get it. They finally have learned how to manage expectations. And they're constantly right. Saying, oh, we'll have this should be online by this date, and they keep beating those estimates. So they're getting much better at using conservative estimates when they're talking about when these factories will open or when a car will be ready for delivery. I love that. I love seeing them under promise and over delivery. So it's, I hope they keep doing it. That's been their MO uh, since Model 3 timeline hells. Mm -hmm. uh, the only exception I think of is FSD, which I think is yeah. so long running that. Should we just keep to, let's just call that one example of under delivering and, yes. and, and move it aside. But everything else they've been doing a good job with. Yeah. Next up, first pictures of the Volkswagen ID6 electric SUV. And for anybody who is looking for this kind of a car, people who are kind of maybe hoping the Y or sorry, the Model X would be a little bit bigger. This might be your SUV. There's no mention of a third row, which is the first thing I was a little bit uh, bummed out about. But look at the pictures. Looks like a pretty, pretty good-looking car. Very much in keeping with the ID3 and ID4, and that's because it'll be built on the MEB platform, just like the others. It looks like maybe the wheelbase will be stretched out behind the rear wheel, maybe a little bit more than the other ones. But yeah, I I'm not sure if the wheelbase is actually stretched out if the platform has that uh, capability or functionality. But that's probably a little more of an overhang off the back. Um, curious if they're going to. Uh, like the timelines and when they'll be built, I'd imagine uh, China, the U.S., North America would be big markets for for a car like this. If the ID4 is is a big uh, is going to be a big hit here, I think the ID6 would be even bigger. So this is a look at what happens when you invest in like a vehicle architecture and you actually are serious about building EVs. The rate at which new models are introduced is pretty rapid. You don't have to go back to the drawing board for the new chassis every single time. Yeah, and um. I'm curious what your take is on the looks, but I'll say um, I like the Volkswagen look. I don't love it. I, I, I love my Tesla. I love the way that my car looks. These are these aren't aren't offensive designs, but I don't feel that like wow. I really want to go out and get one. Kind of kind of a vibe. What do you think? I'm I'm probably a little more pro on that than you. Um, I I do think they're they're handsome cars. 
they're not gorgeous cars. But like, inoffensive would be a good way to put it, but it's, I actually think they look pretty nice. And it's like, I think they're going to resonate with a lot of people where Teslas are gorgeous, but they're also a little more opinionated in their design, which can turn some people off. Like a lot of people don't like that very Spartan interior at all, where the insides of the VW cars, they look like a traditional car inside just with a lot of screens. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of people that just are drawn to that style of car. But they're very modern. They're very, you know, nice. I, I have no problems with them. I think I just think they're nice, kind of handsome cars. That's that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like they're sabotaging it like I felt BMW did for a long time. Like yeah. BMW like went out of their way to make just hideous cars. The ID three is <laughs> an ugly, yeah. ugly car. I can't stand that car. Yeah. No kidding. I three is yeah. I don't know what they were thinking, but they're kind of getting their their head around it too. Um, but this is. We're now at the point where there's, if you think back to Model 3, honestly, if you talk to your friends, how many of them are ready for an electric car? I would, I would argue maybe one in 10 or 15. Now I feel like everybody's ready and they're just waiting for that right model to show up. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are thinking about maybe the Rivian R1S, which is one of my favorite ones. It's like the little electric Range Rover to me. I think I'd love that one. And uh, now they have this, maybe something bigger from... Uh, Hyundai and Apple's partnership or something. I mean, in a couple of years, we might have tons and tons of options. And I know there's, we, you mentioned this, that there's way more in Europe than we have here, but oh, yeah. let's yep. hope some of the stuff uh, also, they're sandbagging and they get it ahead of time. Maybe this car is ready in a year or two as well. I think you brought up a really good point with the, when you have a platform, it means the iteration and rolling them out speeds up as you go. I think that's what we're going to see out of both GM and VW. We're going to see kind of a slow beginning and then it's going to suddenly ramp up really fast which is exciting because we need more options on the market yeah exactly thanks so much for watching and listening and if you think we've earned it be sure to subscribe and watch us every thursday night we uh broadcast live at 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern or listen on the go by subscribing to the podcast at viceverse.show and it would also be really helpful if you could give the podcast a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice because it really does help Thanks again to everyone, and we'll see you in the next one.